0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a Little House on the Prairie podcast. I am your host, John Hernandez. Today's podcast is covering the 10th episode of Little House on the Prairie, my first major milestone. Now, technically, this is my 11th podcast because I did split that pilot moving into two pieces, which looking back on that, probably shouldn't have. It's a good thing I have this podcast to help pace myself with these episodes because I could easily spend a nice afternoon or morning or a late night binge watching I don't know how many episodes. There is more to the prairie than meets the eye. It's not just sunshine, butterflies, and flowers, there are broken ribs, jettisoned teachers, and people faking their own death. The prairie's awesome. (laughs) So, once again, Thank you to everyone who's listened to this podcast up to this point. I appreciate you spending your time listening to the rants of a first-time Little House on the Prairie watcher and for keeping me accountable because if you're listening, then I need to be recording. So, with 10 episodes down and about mm, 194 more to go, let's get this thing started. The episode today is called School Mom and originally aired November 13th, 1974. Now we have a writing credit for the teleplay from Ward Hodkins based on a story by Gene Ruverall and directed by our old friend William F. Claxton. We begin with an exterior shot of the school. There's some whimsy music going on and Miss Beetle is closing up the school. I don't know if it is for the weekend, but she's closing it up as she heads to her single horse powered wagon. She's a very independent woman. As Miss Beetle is untethering her horse, Nellie Olson stops by to invite Miss Beetle over for some special tea. You can tell Miss Beetle just wants to get away. She is done with her students. She's engaging only in the small talk just enough to get to her wagon. And as Miss Beetle is getting into her wagon, she should take up that offer on that specialty because there's most likely not a glass of Pinot Grigio or Pinot Noir waiting for her at home. And alas, there's no saloon to serve it to her either. Meanwhile, over at the swing, Christy and Mary are waiting impatiently as Laura is being pushed by Rosemary. A schoolyard boy with a snake in hand sneaks up behind Rosemary and of course, it frightens everyone. It seems as though snakes are Laura's kryptonite. She is just as spooked as all the other girls. We get a wide shot of all the kids grouping together and running behind the school and eventually coming around in front of Miss Beetle's untethered horse. The children loop around the horse a second time. And of course, a choir pie pitch screaming kids is gonna drive anyone or anything to flee the scene. And that's exactly what we get, a runaway wagon. The kids are watching as their teacher is being whisked away by a frightened steed. It's like they're having their own steve did i do that Urkel kind of moment. Now Miss Beetle is remaining composed. She is grabbing those reins. She is hunkering down, and she is taking that corner around the merchantile as though the wagon is on rails. It's not a Lotus Supree. Again, it's a single-powered horse wagon, but sadly, this horse is too strong for her to stop. A walnut grove extra, or the animal trainer, zooms in on his own horse and grabs hold of the bridle and starts to steer the horse to slow it down a little bit. And we think Miss Beetle is safe. Sadly, she is steered into some grassy, uneven terrain and is launched from this wagon. I know, wagon belts. And we see all this. She's landing on her feet and then on her knees before planting her hands into the ground followed by a forward roll, which leaves her lying on her back. And my one thought of concern is, I wish she had wrist guards. Although not present, we cut to a shocked Caroline responding to the school board's request to be a substitute teacher. The school board consists of the Olsons, Mr. Hansen, and Doc Baker. You're the top of the list, the best, the most qualified. But is there really any other option? Now, Harriet Olson, who hasn't even bothered to step foot on the ground, inquires, You have had experience teaching. Caroline's response is that she might be a little rusty, and there might be some newer methods. Yes, Caroline, there are, and we call it Zoom. Encouraging her, Dog Baker admits that you're totally not out of practice. We know that you're teaching your own children. And they are well aware that it's a lot of work to take care of her own family as well as take over the teaching role. But Mr. Hansen, who seems to be all about education, proclaims do it for the children. We find out her pay rate will be the same as Miss Beadle, which Harriet Olson scoffs at that, calling it a windfall. And we all know that Harriet Olson has some issues. But I do have to point out that her lovely high relief, ivory brooch, and matching earrings are exquisite. Caroline says she will consider the position after discussing it with Charles. Harriet interjects a small clause, however, that there is no nepotism. It's at that point Caroline has made up her mind and takes the position. We cut to a late night shot and Caroline is restless. She is stuck on her terrible temper. Harriet Olson makes me so mad. She says no and I say yes. Caroline wants to be at the school, knowing that they need her, and not only despite Harriet Olson. Charles rose over and says, "Well, they need a teacher, and you are the best one for the job, right?" Caroline gives a little smile, a little prideful, and says, "Yes." Charles kisses her goodnight, and they go to bed. Next day at school, all the kids are in front of the classroom, and Nellie is spreading the news that. Her mom thinks Caroline is unqualified. One of the kids ask what that word actually means. And it's explained that due to her outdated methods and lapse of time between teaching jobs, that she just is not a teacher anymore. While all this is happening, a man comes into the back. Now, I don't want to necessarily say a man, maybe late teens, early 20s, but he has a seat in the back of the classroom. And I know we're trying not to be creepy because this is the 1870s, but... There is something slightly off about the situation, but as an audience, we just don't know what it is yet. Caroline arrives with the girls, and they have their seats, and it seems as though Nellie Olson's campaign of disinformation is having its effect on the classroom. The kids are paying no attention to Caroline as she explains the situation, but what Caroline really needs to do is to go on about their contribution to Miss Beadle's injury. Caroline is looking for some answers. So she calls on Harry. Now, Harry's the boy that had the snake at the very beginning of the episode that started this domino effect of why we're here. But the only other Harry that I can recall is Harry Baker, the boy that Johnny Johnson took to the ground when Mary yelled at him to not shoot at a squirrel. And his response to Caroline's question is, you're not a teacher, and proceeds to repeat everything that Willie and Nellie had said. Caroline admits that they all must like Miss Beetle quite a bit, but you don't know the potential of someone else until you give them a chance. Caroline then inquires to Harry, what is it that he can do best? And he admits that he can bat a ball farther than any man in town. And this leads to a little bit of show and tell. The entire classroom gets up and heads outside so Harry can demonstrate his batting skills. And to be expected, he does hit that ball somewhere out in midfield there. Upon hitting the ball, he offers the bat to Caroline. And I can't tell if that's supposed to be playful or potentially a very humbling experience for Caroline. In the background, Rosemary and possibly Helen turn to one another, giggling. Regardless, Caroline takes the bait and accepts the challenge. And the students are silent. And Harry Baker. With a mocking grin, he looks over at Mary and Laura as they cross their fingers for good luck. And it must have worked because Caroline sends that ball way out. If there was a fence, it would have gone over it. You sent it flying farther than anyone, those are Laura's words, and the crowd is silent. And other than Harry and Nellie, everyone has big smiles on their face. As everyone is heading back inside, Caroline asks the girls to refrain from telling Charles about this episode. It's reading hour and Nellie Olson is just finishing up. I did so well, give me high marks, is essentially what she says. But she sits down and it's at this point that we meet Abel McKay, the obvious other storyline. I mean, the creepy, but not meant to be creepy, student in the back. When Caroline says his name, the entire classroom snickers. When asked to read, the kids' snickers get a little louder. And unfortunately, Caroline is not picking up on this. She inquires if Abel has a reader, and he does. And Laura is trying to get Caroline's attention to prevent the possible embarrassing moment that is about to happen. And, oh dear, Abel, as a student... He knows he needs to follow the teacher's request, but Abel is trying to explain, but he can't find the confidence to tell Caroline the truth. And the kids' snickers turn to laughter when Abel leaves the building. And that's when Mary and Laura spill the tea. Abel doesn't come around much, and Miss Beetle also drove him off, because Abel can't read. Not one word. Speaking of tea, we cut to Caroline serving and sipping some tea with a bandaged up Miss Beetle. Her prognosis, a badly sprained ankle and one sore wrist, which is lucky because if you would have seen her take that tumble from that wagon, you'd be surprised as well. Oh, and FYI, you can also tell in this scene where her wig begins. Caroline apologizes for losing the student Abel McKay, and she wasn't aware that he was backwards, and Miss Beetle assures Caroline that he isn't backwards he's just a late starter. He only started a month ago. He saw the young ones doing better than him and he was kind of humiliated. Caroline is having a moment of deja vu, at which point Miss Beetle does ask, did they laugh? And Caroline responds, oh yeah, they totally did. Caroline bemoans her inability to read context clues and feels bad for having Abel live through the most embarrassing moment of his life a second time. And Caroline is coming home from that first day of work, and Carrie is running up to her. Now, in regards to Caroline being a working mother at this time, we are informed that the Nelsons are watching Carrie during the day. And certainly, I must admit, I didn't even think about Carrie so far. And so, Caroline is home, and disappointed in her day, losing the one student that needed her the most. And Laura says not to worry about it. It's just dumb, Abel. And in less time than it takes to fall into a creek, Caroline turns around and demands to know, what did you say? She then proclaims that anyone who uses that cruel nickname again will get their mouth washed out with the strongest soap I can find. You all must be starving. The two plus mile walk home might have helped decompress Caroline a bit, but that moment with the girl, Caroline needs some me time down by the creek. She pushes that bonnet back like it's a face mask that's been on all day. If she had any vices, she'd be doing them. Charles comes into the scene. Bad day. And we get a recap of pretty much everything that we have seen so far. Charles assures her it wasn't a completely bad day. You did hit a home run. Another day and another basket of eggs. Caroline is heading into the mercantile to sell the eggs before school starts, and we are greeted by a very disingenuous Harriet. Oh, well, good morning. If you want your service with a half-hearted smile, make your way down to the Olsen Merchantile. Caroline wants to know if it is all right that she does bring these eggs in early, but something is up because Harriet Olson gives the eggs a compliment, totally free of charge and the eggs are so good that they are purchased for four cents more a dozen. It's all bribery. Harriet merely wants to purchase the school monitoring role for Nellie. After the cash transaction is complete, Caroline informs Harriet that the school monitor jobs are used to motivate children who simply do not like school. Now, Willie and Nellie like school, don't they? Of course. Caroline is ringing the bell and all the kids are rushing in. Nellie Olson stops by and gives an apple to the teacher. It's 100% organic and follows it up with a curtsy. However, there is only one thought on Caroline's mind Where's Abel? He didn't come, and Caroline is flustered by this, and all she wants to do is atone. At the end of the day, over at the mill, Charles is shimmering with sweat. Caroline explains that she has sent the girls home already and she is heading over to the McKay place to find Abel. It's my job. Talk about going above and beyond. We cut to Abel sawing some wood as Caroline is approaching in her wagon. Abel sees Caroline approach and gives a little bit of a wave, looking rather apprehensive, but Caroline is driven or at least driving the horses. And we are then introduced to the McKay patriarch. Now he is into clay and brick making. And this line of work must be new to Caroline because as she's trying to hold a conversation with him, she doesn't really know where to stand in all the machinery. And she's doing her best to stay out of the way of that donkey. Mr. McKay lets us know that schooling is Abel's choice and not his. And if Abel misses it, He misses it. It's his choice. Mr. McKay lets us know that he never went and never needed to. I make bricks. It's all a man needs. He may not be schooled, but he knows his trade. He knew the land that he lives on was full of good clay, and he knew how to make bricks. Savvy is all a man needs, according to Mr. McKay. And as always, I have to wonder, is there a Mrs. McKay? Caroline informs Mr. McKay that times are changing. Teaching methods are changing, and according to Caroline, with Mr. McKay's high regards for savvy, you add that with reading, writing, and arithmetic, you have yourself a winner. Caroline is a smooth operator. Mr. McKay continues that Abel doesn't learn anything when he goes, other than embarrassment and humiliation, and mentions that there is work at home and they need to prepare for winter. He won't encourage Abel to attend school. Caroline must do that. And Mr. McKay's final words on the matter is, if he chooses not to go, you leave Abel alone. There are no goodbyes between the two of them, just a thank you and a giddy up. We cut to a close-up of hands pushing modeling clay around a stick. Caroline assures Abel he'll excel once he has his basics down. Captivated by his work, Caroline inquires about it. I see a stick icy bones. This stick looked like a man, spoken like a true artist. At this time, Abel pulls out a ceramic bird he has sculpted, and Caroline is captivated. Anyone with eyes like this can learn. Abel wants to believe this, and Caroline makes a reassurance that he will learn. Once again, we are at school, and apparently class is being held outside. Caroline has a plan and wants the children's help. Her first question to the student body is, has Abel ever harmed any of you? All the kids look at one another and shake their head in a no response. And her second question presented to the children is, would you help him? Now, I want to jump in here and say, Caroline, your second question should have been, why are you teasing him? But in response to that question, Harry Baker replies, why not help him? Because that's what you do. You help people. Oh, Generation P. Caroline shares her plan of how they are all going to help Abel. They're all going to be teachers. As Abel is coming to his seat, all students are assigned a letter. Now, there's only 17 students in the class, so there's definitely no Qs or Zs. And when Abel finds his assigned seat, he gets the letter T. Caroline is explaining the scene. She is going to have the entire school review their fundamentals because some of them have been missing up too easily on their spelling and reading. It's a very interactive reviewing session. When called, you are to stand up, say your letter, make the sound of your letter. And if you are the last person, you are to say the word all the letters make. And Abel, with his T, is about to be called on a lot to demonstrate Harry stands up, says his letter D, Christy stands up with her O, and Laura stands up with her G, D-O-G, dog. Abel is starting to follow along, and that is when Willie stands up with his C. Sandy, who originally called Laura and Mary Snipes on the Country Girls episode, stands up with the letter A, and Abel is called last with his T. My letter is T. T. It sounds like T. Caroline corrects him and says Tuh. With that correction, Abel starts to sound out the word and he says it, cat. He is seeing the light. On the next round, it's B-A-T. And I have to inquire, is it a noun or a verb? When Abel correctly says the word bat, Mary gives Caroline a little wink and Caroline gives a big smile in return. We cut to a very brief scene outside of the mill as Charles is running out to greet Caroline and the girls who are waiting in the wagon. And Caroline has had a great day. So great in fact that we are now onto four letter words at school. Frog, barn, boat. And then we have from the back, well, I declare. It is true. Harriet Olsen has made an entrance. She has come into the school to investigate the rumors that she has heard from Willie and Nellie about stalling other people's educations and playing favoritism. Well, at least it's not Nepalism. And Harriet continues on and on. And then she says it. This dumb, able person. Secretly, we all want Caroline to wash out her mouth with soap. Unfortunately, that does not happen what we also get from Harriet is that Abel shouldn't even be here. He's as big as I am. And I have to say, Abel is not fat. He is just a little older than the rest of the kids. At this point, Caroline is pretty perturbed and she is moving beyond four letter words. And she asks any of the students if they know how to spell compassion. She proceeds to write it out on the board. Following that, she inquires if anyone knows how to spell understanding. Again, no hands go up. With these two words on the blackboard, Caroline has one final question. Does anyone know the definition of these words? And once more, nobody raises their hands. And Caroline then delivers some shade. Don't feel bad. Harriet Olson doesn't know the meaning of them either. And with that, she proceeds to storm out of the school before is stopped by Harriet, who says, you know, I'm on the board. Caroline replies, cool, explain why their sub just quit. And again, that's just paraphrased. We're back at the angles. Once again, Carrie and Charles are working side by side, brushing their respected animals, aka Jack and Patty. Meanwhile, Caroline is off to the side, hanging clothes, and the school board comes begging. dog Baker, Mr. Hanson, a sheepish Mr. Olson, who is dragging a reluctant Harriet Olsen by the arm, have come to talk to Caroline. With their hats in their hand, they are begging Caroline to please reconsider coming back to the teaching position. And Caroline's heart is just not in it. Dog Baker then inquires that there possibly could be some conflicting reports. And would you tell us what happened? Caroline says, can I answer your question with a question? And Caroline, facepalm, that is a question. But Caroline's real question is without explaining what happened at school, she gives the scenario Mr. Hansen, if you were at your mill and it was running smoothly and somebody comes in and throws a rock into everything, Mr. Hansen responds, I would escort them out by the collar of their shirt and the seat of their pants. Caroline? Dope. That was my first thought as well. But I'm a lady, and sadly, so was this other person. Looking over at Harriet Olson, Caroline says, Do you want to tell them? And OMG, I have the same plaid pattern Harriet Olson is wearing, only in smaller squares, and sadly, no lace. Plus, my shirts got snap buttons. Harriet Olson is trying to explain her side of the story. However, each attempt doesn't even make it out of the gate. Mr. Hansen is furious. Looking to Mr. Olsen, he says, please escort your wife away. He says this while also pantomiming, holding her by the collar and the seat of her pants, if she wore pants. Mr. Hansen is really into education. He is begging for Caroline to please return to the teaching post. And Caroline's not sure. Her most distressed student is gone. And with that student, her passion for teaching has also left. Later that evening in bed, Caroline is trying to sleep. And Charles right next to her is eating his popcorn and reading The Home Mechanic. He does inquire if the light is bothering her as she's trying to fall asleep. She says no. In the pages of the book, Charles finds out how to make his own paint. Caroline inquires if he has any sort of painting jobs on the schedule, which he replies to no. At this point, Caroline, being a little passive aggressive, turns over and says, do you have to read about making paint right now? The lights go off. And even with the lights off, Caroline is still not heading to bed. She's being kept awake by this whole school business. It's very upsetting. In fact, she says, I'm always a little upset when I lose my temper. We know, Caroline, you've already had this conversation the last time you were in bed earlier in the episode. A supportive Charles says in agreement that it was for the best for her quitting her job although that doesn't sound too supportive, until we realize that when he rolls over, he does have that Charles Ingalls smirk. Because Charles has some news to share. Through the grapevine, from Christie's dad, to Charles's mouth, to Caroline's ear, that school is happening tomorrow, and Harriet Olsen is going to be teaching. Caroline sits up in bed, shut the front door. Mary and Laura are not going to school tomorrow. And Charles agrees to this with a smile. Caroline proclaims that the girls are not going to learn what Harriet Olson has to teach them. As she says this, she tries to lay back down. And in three, two, one, Caroline is back up, professing that Harriet Olson is not fit to teach. It sounds like Caroline's having a little remorse about her decision but Charles reassures Caroline that you said it was for the best Caroline tries and 100% fails to relax as she then requests the popcorn dish from Charles we cut to the next morning and Charles is outside building something and I have no idea what it is but it has spikes Caroline is heading out to the mercantile to sell the eggs And we get a reminder from Charles that eggs are for selling and not for throwing. And although we don't see it, we get an eye roll from Caroline. At the Merchantile, Mr. Olson is running a business. He is very cordial when Caroline comes in to sell her basket of eggs. And being slightly apologetic for Harriet Olson's behavior, again, Mr. Olson says the price of the eggs were the same as they were last time, which we know that there was a four cents increase on the sale price. And Caroline even mentions this, but Mr. Olson still honors that price. And Harriet Olson's over at the school ringing that bell, trying to get all of her students in like a good teacher, or at least pretending to be one. Because when she rings the bell to call all the students in, the only students that she has are Nellie and Willie. She does inquire where the rest of the students are. You did tell the students that I was teaching today. As she continues on about her lack of students, Caroline is watching from the porch of the Merchantile and leaves. On her way home, Caroline encounters Abel, and apparently he's been waiting for her. Abel wants to apologize for running out of school, but he also admits that he's done with school. His mind is made up. But as a special thank you gift for all the work that Caroline has done for him, Abel presents a gift and wrapped in a red hanky, which he pulled from his left side. This one I know is a stretch, but inside this red hanky is a collection of letters Abel has crafted out of clay. Now it's not the full alphabet, but Abel does offer to make the entire alphabet as well as a collection of numbers. Caroline inquires, did you make this on your own? And we do get a yes from Abel and Caroline explodes. Letters and numbers are in your brain. You're hooked. You've got to come back. However, we get a very adamant no from Abel about returning to school. At which point Caroline reminds us that she is also not returning to school because she doesn't feel as though she is fit to teach. When you ran, I ran just like that. Abel proclaims that Caroline is not a bad teacher and that it's not her fault that I'm dumb Abel. And I know that he called himself that, but I do have to wonder, would Caroline wash his mouth out with soap? Caroline professes, you are not dumb. And Abel replies, and you're not a bad teacher. They are both stubborn about returning to school. And in seeing that, they come to a mutual agreement that Caroline can't be a teacher if she doesn't have a student and Abel can't be a student if he doesn't have a teacher. So they agree that if you go, I'll go just like that. And if you move, I move just like that. And we move into the school where Abel is working on words like direct, silent, colony. He does need a little help with spelling history. We then move on to mathematics where Sandy is doing multiples of five and Laura is working on multiples of six. We then move on to history and trivia and social sciences and Abel answers the question in regards to the nation's capital but he also throws in some trivia about New York City having the highest population. And with that we come to Caroline's last day as a substitute teacher. She's sitting by Plum Creek reflecting on her good days and her bad days. But deep down, she's happy to be a stay-at-home mom. But I don't know. She looks like she wants to do a little bit more, but reassures us that she will miss teaching only a little. As Caroline and the girls approach the school, they are greeted with a banner above the front door that says, Welcome back, Miss Beetle. Inside, Caroline passes the torch once again to their teacher, Miss Beetle. However, Miss Beetle has an announcement. Abel has something he would like to read to you. And to paraphrase, the letter says, thank you. You're a fine teacher and a good friend to us all. At that point, Caroline gets a standing ovation. And the best thing is that she understands that this moment isn't about her, but overall, it's all about the education that these children are receiving. As the applause continues, A small smile appears on Caroline's face as she tries to make a silent exit. However, she has one last look at Abel and she clutches his hands and leaves. She is on the verge of tears, but we know that these are tears of joy because when she gets outside, Caroline has one big ass smile on her face as she heads home. And I have one final thought. That will do, Caroline. That will do. You know, Learning to read just means you get to spend more time in the library. Once upon a time, I wanted to work in information and library sciences, and I wasn't really sure which field to kind of explore, but I did start off with academia, and I was present in an elementary school library for about two months. During one of those times in the library, I did have one young boy come up to me and ask me specifically where the ew books were. And I was like, I don't know what an ew book is. He informed me it was the books about bugs and snakes and other such things. I took him over to the 590 section in the library, the zoology section, but more specifically the 595s. When we got there, he pulled one book off the shelf and asked me, do you want to know why I call them the ew books? I'll bite. Yeah, I'm curious. He proceeds to take the book to a different section of the library And the silence is broken by a choir of girls, all going, EW! I have to admit, I was kind of impressed by this kid's ingenuity. He couldn't get his hands on a real snake or bugs, so he found the next best thing. All thanks to his school library. That memory popped right back into my head at the beginning of this episode. And yes, you did hear me correctly. I was going into information and library sciences at one point in my life, I got all the way up into my grad school program, and then I left it. How did I get there? Earlier in my college education, I took one of those career planning courses, and we took one of those aptitude tests to see which career would suit you best. And my top four were teacher, artist, flight attendant, and librarian at the time, I didn't know what kind of art they meant. And teaching, well, I only thought of teaching as being an elementary school teacher, and I definitely was not interested in that at the time. And I was just in high school a year ago, so why would I want to teach them? And as for flight attendant, I still just was not comfortable with being in the sky, let alone trying to create a career out of it. And it seemed like an okay idea at the time. And in a odd twist of events, in some sort of way, I am doing all of those. I am an aerial silks instructor sharing my information with students. From time to time, I have performed, so I guess that would make me an artist as well. And my information and library background does make it a little bit easier to look up and research information in regards to the aerial world. And lastly, I've got people up in the air. I've got to make sure that they are well taken care of, AKA being a semi-flight attendant. All in all, I've had some really amazing teachers over the years and some not so great ones. And that's not just limited to real life people. You know, stories that I've read, movies that I've watched, shows that I've seen, all are gonna have some sort of character that is gonna teach me something. Mr. Miyagi taught me that the best way to make your body remember something is to make it relatable. I know how to block a punch, but I also know how to wax a car. Obi-Wan Kenobi taught me not to always trust my eyes, that sometimes you should just trust those feelings. And the Marquis de Sade taught me that the most explicit things that you could imagine were actually written some time ago. So let's review and rate this episode School Mom. I don't have too many complaints about this episode. It was pretty solid. We got exposition when we needed it, an effective use of a very minor character with Mr. McKay. Caroline takes center stage and we get all of her feelings. When she went on her Mankato second honeymoon, she just seemed very one-sided. And thinking back to the hundred mile walk, The ending part of her storyline was pretty much left in the dark. We saw that they saved and sold some wheat, and that's it. No congratulations from Charles. Nothing heard more about any of the farmers being thankful. But here, we get everything. This is Caroline's episode, for sure. I've also decided to move my little house moment shout-out to the end of the episodes during this review time. So with that being said, our little house moment that happened... In this episode, at least according to my own feelings, is when Abel McKay stood up in class with his tea and read his first word. Essentially, from that moment, Cable McKay's life is now on a different path. There are so many more possibilities for Abel McKay now. Unfortunately, I don't think we'll ever get to know any of them. So in rating this episode, I'm going to give it those five bonnets. This was a pretty solid episode. I keep looking at my notes and nothing in there suggests that there was anything I did not like about this episode. So yes, five bonnets for school mom. And uh, those are my thoughts and feelings on this episode. And of course, I would like to hear any thoughts that you have about this episode as well. You can reach me at fromplumcreekwithlove at gmail.com. And you can also rate and review me on iTunes. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez, and until next time, take care.